Uh, we're starting a new book this morning, the book of Titus. If you need a Bible, the ushers will come forward with Bibles. And, um, uh, and if you need a Bible with the, the version that I use, you can just keep the Bible. It's, it's on us. We, we like giving away things like Bibles around here. And uh, hey, by the way, uh, Mike announced it, but there's a cool bake sale going on next door. And if you got barbecue, you got your barbecue uh, tickets, go pick up your pound of barbecue over there. There's an extra 30 or 40 pounds of barbecue. Eight bucks a a, a thing. It goes 100% towards scholarships for youth to go on spring retreat uh, in April. We want to give a $100 scholarship to every kid that wants to go. So the barbecue will help with that. So pick up some barbecue, pick up some bake sale stuff. I've already had, ooh, don't tell Heidi this, four cookies already this morning. Oh, she's right there. I just told her. But uh, it's, it's good chocolate chip cookies over there. Um, so uh, that's over in the Calvary Kids Building right over there. And uh, hey, Titus. We're going to talk about in Titus this morning, just four verses this morning, short, four verses, but we're going to see five points about greatness, how to be great in God's eyes, how to be great in the kingdom of God. Now, I think inside of all of us, there's an innate desire to be great at something. God's put in us a desire, uh, an innate desire to be great in something. I remember thinking about that. I was remembering Dates me a little bit, but I remember one of my favorite movies back in the many moons ago, uh, The Natural with Robert Redford. Remember that movie? Remember that scene in the hospital room after he had all these health ailments and stuff? He ended up in the hospital. He got reunited with his girlfriend from 20, 30 years ago, Meryl Streep. And he, she's there in the hospital room, and he was just really in a state of just down because he lost everything, including his ability to play baseball. And then he said, he said these words, All I ever wanted was to be the greatest baseball player I ever lived, to the point that when people saw Roy, Roy Hobbs, that was his name, when people saw Roy Hobbs walking down the street, they'd say, that's Roy Hobbs, the greatest baseball player that's ever lived. And then Meryl Streep said those words. She said, well, you know, Roy, I think there's two lives that we live, the, the life we, we, we learn from and then the life we live with afterwards. Now, I, I could preach on that. There's some, there's, some, there's some scripture I can point to that, that talks about you reap what you sow, right? But anyways, we're not going to go there. But, but I, I, I thought about that scene when I thought about all of us want to be great. But you know what God wants for us? He doesn't want us to be great in baseball. He doesn't want us to be great in this or jobs or whatever. The thing that God wants most of all, he wants us to be great in the way we live in the kingdom of God. And we're going to, I'm going to give you five principles from the example of Paul, probably one of the greatest men of God that ever lived. And we're going to learn from his example this morning how to be great in the kingdom of God. We're going to learn five things that if you apply these things, you'll be great in God's eyes. You'll do some great things for God. And greatness will be there in your life in the kingdom of God if you do these five things. Then again, we're looking at the example of Paul because he was probably one of the greatest men of God that ever lived. But Paul also said in Corinthians, he said this. He said, follow me as I what? As I follow Christ. <clears throat> so what we're going to do this morning, just, we're going to see just four verses, four examples from Paul of the way he followed Christ. And he followed Christ well, and he lived a great Christian life after he came to Christ. And we're going to learn five things from Paul that if we follow him in those areas, it'll make us great in the kingdom of God too. You ready, church? All right, turn in the Bible to Titus chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I'll give you a little background. Titus is another pastoral epistle. What does that mean? It's written by Paul, a pastor, to another pastor, Titus. 
Now, 1 and 2 Timothy, the two letters before this, were also pastoral epistles. They were written to the pastor Timothy. Now, it's about the same time. 1 Timothy and Titus, about the same time. 2 Timothy, a little bit later, that was written in Paul's second imprisonment before his execution. And so Titus actually falls between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy were written about the same time. Now, remember, where was Timothy at as a pastor? Do you remember? The city of Ephesus. Now, Titus, different place. He's on the island of Crete. It's an island in the Mediterranean. Let's throw it up here. Uh, I'll show you what Crete looks like right there. Crete is right below Ephesus on the Mediterranean Sea. Paul is writing this letter from the Copolis on the other side, side over there. And so <clears throat> that's an actual modern-day picture of present-day Crete. Hey, let's all go on a Mediterranean cruise this week. We'll, we'll go ourselves. <laughs> oh, I had some clapping there. But that's, that's present-day Crete today. It's about an island of about 130 miles long, 30 miles deep, and it's, it was a very populated island at the time of Paul. At the time of Paul, there was about 200,000 people living on that island. And so what Paul did, along with Titus, is he started several churches on that island, like house churches. And now Paul has left behind Titus on this island of Crete to pastor there, but to also raise up elders. How do I know that? Because verse 5 tells us, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I direct you. Now, this was an easy task because Crete was known for being a pagan place. Crete was known for being a place, according to verse, go back down to verse 12 of chapter 1, uh, it says this, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That was our culture. Kind of sounds like the United States a little bit, doesn't it? A lot of immorality. I mean, what happened in Crete stayed in Crete. It's kind of like a Las Vegas kind of area. And now Titus is commanded to appoint, set an order, establish churches there, and raise up leadership. And that's a big part of what this letter will be about. But Paul gives an introduction first, so let's look at the introduction. Chapter 1, verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Here we go. We'll read the first four verses, then we'll go back and we'll look at the points. Paul, a bondservant of God... In an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God, and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, and the hope, notice, the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. To Titus, there it is, to Titus, my true child in common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our what? Savior. Okay, now back it up. Five points about what made Paul great, what can make us great in the kingdom of God too. First point, go back. Paul introduces himself in the letter and says, Paul, different than letters today. Back when we used to write letters, we're all email and text and stuff now, but back when we used to write letters, where would you put your name on the letter? You'd put it at the end. Now here... Paul puts his name first. Why? Because there were scrolls in that day. When you'd start the scroll, you wouldn't know who it was from unless they put their name first. So he'd put his name first, and then he'd say this. After his name, a bondservant of God. Now, the word bondservant, they're an interesting word, doulos in the Greek. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. In the Hebrew culture, 
that Paul was coming out of, what, what happened is if you got indentured to somebody, if you owed someone money and you couldn't pay that money back to them, you became indentured. There wasn't foreclosure. There wasn't bankruptcies. There wasn't credit cards. There was indentureship. What that means, if you got in serious debt to somebody, you became their slave to pay off that debt. Now, he, uh, Exodus 21 says, here's what would happen, is, is, is if you were a slave to someone, you can only be a slave six years. And then after six years, they would, according to the Old Testament law, they'd have to set you free. You couldn't be in slavery, one Hebrew to another Hebrew, at more than six years. But some of the slaves, after they got to know the family, they had a good master, good place to live, a good work situation, some of the slaves would say this, where am I going to go? I'll never find another master like this. This is good. I like this situation. I want to voluntarily give my life to this master and serve him the rest of my life. And then you know what they do? They would take their ear and have the master take it all to their ear. And they'd pierce their ear and they'd get an earring there. And that earring was a sign that I voluntarily signed up to be a servant of this master for the rest of my life. You see what Paul was saying about himself? And he introduced himself over and over again in his letters to churches. I am a bond servant. I'm a doulos. I'm a volunteered uh, servant of my master Jesus for the rest of my life. Now, why would Paul do that? One reason. Because Jesus did this for him. And Jesus knocked him down on a road in Damascus. And instead of showing judgment and wrath for the rest of eternity towards Paul, Jesus served Paul by giving him grace and forgiveness through what he did on the cross for his sins. And from that moment on, Paul said, I just want to serve Jesus. And he did. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us he served Jesus through shipwrecks. He served Jesus through, through beatings. He served Jesus through whippings. He served Jesus through stonings to death. He served Jesus after a night and a day shipwrecked in the deep. He, he just wanted to serve Jesus because of what Jesus did for him. And you know what? That made Paul great. And you know what? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant. Be a doulos. Be a person that says, all I want to do the rest of my life is serve Jesus because he served me upon that cross, as Paul said. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. So while we are sinners, Christ died for me. And as Paul said later in this letter, Titus chapter 3, talking about the way Jesus served us. Verse 4, it says, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see the way Jesus served us? The kindness of God appeared in Jesus. He justified us by his grace by doing this on the cross for us. So, hey, the natural response, if you've really been awakened by grace and saved by grace, is you want to be a servant. Uh, Voluntarily, uh, for the rest of your life, you want to be a servant. I like Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to God, which is, notice, your spiritual service of worship to him. Lay down your life in service to him. First principle, you want to be great. Be someone that just wants to serve Jesus. And notice, 
and serving others too. Because Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of them, what are you doing? You're serving him. Serving. And you know, Jesus wasn't an armchair expert again on service. I think of Jesus on the night that he was going to be arrested and tortured and then brought to a cross. What did Jesus do with his disciples? He got on his knees with a towel. And then dirty feet. He went down in every single disciples and washed their feet. And this isn't the day of Nikes and athletic socks. This is the day of dirty feet on dusty roads and sandals. And he got down on his knees and he washed every single one of his disciples' feet. And then he said this, you call me Lord and Master? That's right. I'm your Lord and Master. And I've done this to you so that you will do it for others. Service makes you great in God's kingdom. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, he says this, but Jesus called them to himself, his disciples, and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become what? There it is right there. Whoever wishes to become what? Great. There it is. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not become to be served, but to serve, to give his life, it's a ransom for many. Here's the deal, too. The more you learn to serve God, the more you learn to serve people, the happier you're going to be. It's true. Jesus said, you want to find your life? Lose it. And everyone who loses his life for my sake and for the kingdom and for the gospel will find life. We're reading a great book as a staff right now. It's called How Happiness Happens by Max Lucado. And it's a wonderful book because what Max does in that book is all the chapters are a different one another statement throughout the Bible. There's like 11 one another statements. He goes through every chapter is a one another statement. And each chapter is ultimately about serving people. And his whole thesis of the book is as you practice these one another statements and live them out, as you learn to serve one another, as you learn to forgive one another, as you learn to admonish one another, as you learn to, to, to bless one another, here's what's going to happen. You will find happiness because that's what, the way God created us. The more you learn to serve, the more you learn to help people and get out of your self selfish state and learn to serve, the more happy you will be. And I've seen that. Who are some of the happiest people you know? People that aren't, aren't just living for self and stuff. They're living to serve and have, be a part of a cause and be a part of helping people. Those are the happiest people. And by the way, if you're in a down mode and you're struggling and you're struggling with being down or whatever else, one of the best things you do to break through that is go out and serve somebody. Go out and help somebody. And that'll get you in your service. That'll get you out of yourself and it'll get you some joy again because it's more blessed to give than to receive. First things that makes you great in the kingdom of God is service. Learn to serve God. Learn to serve people and help people. And by the way, it'll also bless your marriages. Hey, wives, what's the greatest thing oftentimes you need from your husband? Come on. Serve. Help. How about parenting? One of the greatest things you do in parenting is just learn to be, serve those kids. Bless those kids. What's one of the greatest things you could do at work? Learn to be a servant at work. And by the way, as you learn to be a servant, you'll be a leader too because the greatest leaders out there are lead, servant leaders. So the first thing that makes you great in the kingdom of God, learn to serve. Be a doulos. Let's all get pierced ears. We're coming back to church next week. We're all, no, I'm just kidding, guys. Some of you rednecks can say, John, I'm not coming back. 
Pastor John's getting a pierced ear. No way. Get my shotgun out, man. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Just kidding. I won't have a pierced ear next Sunday. You could come back. So, but the first thing, kingdom of God, you want to be great? Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be a servant. The greatest among you shall be a servant. Paul was a doulos. We need to be douloses too. Now let's go on. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen. Now notice, apostle. Now careful with this. I'm going to make a statement, but I'm going to preface it before I make the statement, and that is that, is that we're not apostles. The office of apostle, I believe, was for the first century only because the office of the apostle was established by Jesus Christ as an office for the foundation of the New Testament church. The apostles had to be eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. Not only that, they had to have the authority given to them by Jesus to write the scripture because most of the New Testament, the Bible, was written by apostles. We're not writing any Bible, and we haven't had an eyewitness account of Jesus Christ. But the word apostle means one who is sent forth with a message from a king. And we're called to be ambassadors for Christ, who is our king. We're called, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And we're pleading with people to be reconciled to God. And we have a master, we have a king who we represent as an apostle. The word apostle, again, means those that go forth with a message from a king. And we're all instructed by King Jesus to go forth with a message. And here's some of the results in these verses that when we fulfill our role of going forth with Jesus' message to people, look at some of the fruit, some of the gifts we give to people as we go forth with the message as apostles, as those sent forth for Jesus Christ. We give people the gift, verse 1 again, of faith. Because Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith. Now, faith, what is that? That's the assurance of things hoped for, conviction about things not seen. It's what saves you. 200 times in the New Testament, we're told what saves us is our faith. For by grace you're saved through what? Through faith. And one of the things we do when we go forth with the message of Jesus, and we give Jesus to people, we give them, when they receive that message, and they receive Christ, we give them the gift of faith. It's one of the greatest gifts you can give anybody is faith. Faith is that assurance of things hoped for. It's conviction of things not seen. It's the ability to believe in a, 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 a God that's invisible who will save your soul. And faith is the, uh, the ability to believe that Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's a gift, though. For by grace you're saved through faith. That not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not as a result of, of works that no one should boast. And when we give people Jesus, we give them the gift of faith. And then also another gift we give them, which is according to godliness, the knowledge of truth, which is according to godliness. Now, another gift, if you're bringing Jesus to people as a messenger, as an apostle, as one who's sent forth, we also give them not only faith, we give them, notice, truth. And why is truth so powerful? Because it's according to godliness. It'll help them to live a godly life instead of an ungodly life. It'll help them to live blessed life instead of a cursed life. It will set them free because you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And another gift we can give to people is not only Jesus, but we give them faith through Jesus and we give them truth. And if the Son sets you free, man, you're free indeed. It's wonderful. And there's a correlation there. As we give people truth and they accept the truth and they live in the truth, the the correlation is that truth is going to help them to live 
godly, according to godliness, because that's the truth. And then it also says, we give them, verse 2, and the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. Before we look at hope, notice the thing that it says there about God. You know there's something according to that verse that God can't do? Do you know, you know there's certain things God can't do? And you, you don't hear people say things like, well, is God, can, God, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? That's a stupid question. Who cares? That's not the point. What it's saying, there are things, though, that we need to know God can't do. And there's things that God can't do that we can do. Did you know that? What does it say right there in the verse? What, what's one thing God can't do? What can we do? We could lie. Some other things, too. God can't sin, but we can sin. God can't be unfaithful, but we can be unfaithful. God can't be immoral, but God or, or God, God's, God's always going to be moral because he's holy, he's pure, he's white as snow. So there's things God can't do that we can do, but one of the things I love about God, he can't lie. You know why that's important? Because every promise in this book, God can't lie. If he's promised us this in the book, it will be true. He's promised us we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. God can't lie. You can bank on that promise. He's got strength for you to do whatever you need to do that he's called you to do. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end. He can't lie. He will be with you through all the trials, through all the crises, through all the hurts. He will be with you. And if you don't feel close in those trials to God, the Bible says draw near to God, and then he'll draw near to you. God can't forsake you. He promises to be with you no matter where you're at. He he can't lie about his promise that he will meet all your needs. Philippians 4, 19. He will meet all your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? He is Jehovah Jireh. He will be there and he'll provide for you. He'll take care of you. All your needs. Not your greeds. (laughs) But your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. He promises you his, his future for you is not for calamity, it's for welfare. It's to give you a future and a hope. He promises that to you, and he cannot lie. And I love that about God. And you know what that does for us? It gives us hope. And that goes back to our verse. Go back to our verse. It says this, and back in Titus. It says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, the greatest promise of God that we have and that we could give to other people is that Christ is the resurrection of life and he who believes in him, even though he dies, shall live and everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. The hope of eternal life. Again, the hope that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And if you have Christ in you, this is as bad as it's going to get, and the best is yet to come. That's hope. Hope is an expectation of coming good. And what we do is when we give Jesus to people, we give them faith, we give them truth, we give them hope, and we give them godliness. And one of the greatest gifts you can do as an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who goes forth with a message from Jesus Christ, is to give people Jesus so they can have faith, they can have truth, they can have godliness. And they could have hope. 
I like to give people stuff. I'm just, I, I got it from my mom, I think. My mom was one of the most generous people I've ever met. She was amazing. She, was just, she just liked to give. She just gave and gave. and I mean, she gave to the point that after uh, Heather, Heather and I, my sister and I were out of the house and we were uh, gone and they had empty nests, she went back to master's graduate degree to get her master's in social work so she could work in a school with uh, behavior disordered kids and be their advocate and just give and help them and help them get out of their behavior disordered, dysfunctional kind of lives. And, and she just gave and gave and gave. And I like giving. I like giving so much. Like the, this, this week I was in my favorite store. I don't know. If, well, one of my favorite stores, Costless here in Lexington. It's like a scratch and dent store from Costco. The best deals in town are found at this. Well, the second best deals. The best deals in town are found at the Calvary Chapel thrift store. <laughs> but the second best deal is costless. And so I'm at costless this week, and I, I got a whole case, scratch and dent case, of uh, these Cliff Bars. I don't know if you know what Cliff Bars are, they're vitamins and protein and stuff. So I got them on my desk, and I got U-Turn or other guys coming in, and I'm just throwing them Cliff Bars. And they go, yeah, I'll have one, I'll have one. I'm going to have. I just love, I like to give. I, lo- I like to give because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's just fun giving people stuff. And so I'm throwing out Cliff Bars this week and stuff, and I'm thinking about this giving thing of, and thinking about, you know what? The, the thing, I, I like giving people stuff, but the thing I like to give people more than anything it's Jesus. It is so fun to give people Jesus. And when you give people Jesus, what happens? You give them a whole kinds of list of gifts and give them Jesus. You give them faith. You give them hope. You give them truth. You give them godliness. And it's been fun the last few weeks as I've been trying to do more personal evangelism. And every time someone checks into our U-turn, I sit down with them. I, try, I do my best to give them Jesus. And I've seen several guys in the last few weeks I, I go through the bracelet with them and go through the colors, and then I ask them if they want to receive Christ, and they receive Christ, and I give them Jesus, and then I, then I take the bracelet off, and I give them the bracelet, and I say, now live for Jesus. The last color on the bracelet is green, and the green represents growth, and so be a growing Christian now. That's wonderful to give people Jesus. We have food pantry. People come in the food pantry, and I'm trying the best I can. When people come in the food pantry, hey, while you're waiting for food, come on in. I want to give you Jesus. When we give them Jesus, it's just so much fun giving people Jesus. The greatest gift we could give to anybody is to be a messenger for Christ and give them Jesus. Amen? This year, harvest, and under that harvest word that describes this year, it's Proverbs 11.30, those who win souls are wise. So let's be wise this year. Let's give some people some Jesus. Because that's a part of what will make us great in the kingdom of God, giving people Jesus. And then it goes on after being an apostle with these gifts of, again, gifts of, of Jesus, gifts of truth, gifts of faith, gifts of hope. It goes on, Paul says this, verse 3, But at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation which, we, which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Now I want you to see something interesting here. What's interesting here is that it says that one of the things that Paul was entrusted with was the commandment of God and the proclamation of God's word. Interesting. What Paul is saying here is what God has entrusted to me is this book right here, and I'm supposed to be proclaiming it to other people. And you know what? That's not just the Apostle Paul's job. It's not just the pastor's job. 
It's every single disciple's job because Matthew 28 tells us our great commission as Christians is to go, all Christians, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice here, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then he says, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we're all supposed to be disciples that are learning God's word, and as we learn God's word, it becomes a part of the fabric of our being to the point we share it with others, and then others become disciples also because we're sharing God's word with them, and we're proclaiming, as Paul said, the word of God to, to other people. It's, 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 we've, we've seen it in the Gospels, too. It's a sowing of seed. We're all supposed to be sowers of God's seed into other people's lives. And here's how it works. There's a pattern. The pattern is before you sow it, you've got to learn it. That's what the word disciple means. Disciple means a learner. It says in the book of Acts, about the New Testament disciples, they were continually, Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves, first off, to what? The apostles' teaching, which is the word of God. And they devoted themselves to get into God's word and get God's word in them. And then, Acts chapter 5, just a couple of chapters later, it says this about the New Testament disciples. We gave you, this is the enemies of the church, said, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You know what I was saying there? These New Testament disciples, in just a short period of time, filled the whole city of Jerusalem with the teaching of God's word. Isn't that awesome? And that's the next thing we're supposed to be a part of. As we give people Jesus, we're also to give people God's word. And we're to fill our cities with the proclamation of God's word. And we have so many tools to do that with today. It's amazing. The technology we have today, we have Facebook. We have, what's it, Instagram. We have texting. We have emails. And I, I, that's, use those tools, church. Use the tools that we have to get God's word out. We're doing that every week right now here in the office. What we do is we take just one worship song from Sunday, and then what we do is we take just a three or five or ten minute teaching part of the message, we put it on Facebook, and then we challenge people that are friends that are watching it to share with other people to get God's word out. Simple tools like that. We can get God's word out. Just, but before you're able to be a proclaimer of God's word, you need to be a learner of God's word. You've got to get it in you. And why do we do so many Bible studies around here? Why do we have Bible studies just about every day of the week? Because we want to get God's word in you. We want you to be continually devoting yourself to God's word. Because when it gets in you, it gives you victory in your life. First of all, it will set you free. But then second of all, it will help you be a proclaimer as you learn it to other people, God's word. It's really fun. We're, I've had a lot of fun on Thursday nights. <laughs> we're having a blast. We started this Bible college. Uh, Pastor Mike started this Bible college institute where we're a video campus in the cafe for Bible college. It's a three-year program. Three hours every Thursday night. It's like a fire hydrant of God's word. Like this for three hours. And it's fun because we got 60 people in the church now going through Bible college. It's amazing. Uh, this Bible College Institute basically is broadcast all over the country to different churches and stuff. And Mike told me this week that we are the largest class, extension class, of any Bible College Institute in the whole United States. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty cool. And what's cool about that 
is we got 60 people that if they stick to it for three years are going to be Bible college graduates just in our church. And as, as these people are learning God's word, being discipled in God's word, it's going to help you be a proclaimer of God's word and we're going to fill our city with God's word. And God's going to move. The harvest is going to come in through that, just getting God's word out. Because God's word does not return empty. It accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. It's got power like a seed to produce growth. And so you want to be great in God's kingdom? Be a learner of God's word and then proclaim it to other people and share it with those people as much as you can. And and that's what Paul did. He was was entrusted with that. Now notice verse 4. It says the next thing about Paul that made it great. To Titus, my true child, in what? A common faith. Now, I want you to see something. There's a pattern in Paul's life. The pattern was he would influence people. He would give them Jesus. They'd come to Christ. And then he'd become a spiritual papa to those people. That's what he's saying here to Titus. You're my true child in the faith. I've led you to Christ. I've mentored you. I've discipled you. And I've been a spiritual parent to you. It's not the first time we see this in Scripture either. Back in Timothy, it said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1-2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He said in Philemon about Onesimus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. In other words, he's a father, spiritual father. He said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4-15, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, Yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Isn't that awesome? Spiritual papa, spiritual mamas, we need more of those. And what happens is as God gives you the privilege of leading someone to Christ, God gives you the privilege of having spiritual influence in someone's life, then he wants you to do this. He wants you to help them grow. The last color on my bracelet is green. And after I pray with people to receive Christ, I'll say, hey, there's one more color. It's green. What do you, what do you think that stands for? And they'll say, well, I don't know. And I'll say, well, it's like a green plant. What do green plants do? They grow. And now God wants you to grow. God wants you to flourish spiritually. God wants you to be like that tree planted by streams of water and your leaf doesn't wither. Whatever you do prospers. So here's how you grow. Get yourself in church. Get yourself in some small group Bible studies. Get yourself around some Christians that are on fire and it'll help you grow. One of the most fun things in my life to do besides lead people to Christ and give them Jesus is to help people grow spiritually. I love doing that. I love seeing people get into God's word and grow, flourish. And I've had the privilege in the last 30-some years of ministry of being a spiritual papa to a bunch of different people that I've led to Christ and, and, uh, and then watch them grow and then disciple them. And this last Easter, I was reminded of that because um, I had contact with one of my best friends. One of my best friends lives in a really tough place to live. He's, he's one of my best friends in the world, but he lives in a place that's really tough. That's a place called Maui, Hawaii. And uh, I talked to him just yesterday, and I was talk- or a couple days ago, I talked to him, and it was rainy and damp cold, you know, damp like wet cold. And I was just like this. I'm, I said, I'm going to call Dan, at my be- one of my best friends in Maui, and see how he's doing. And say, hey, Dan, how's it going? He goes, oh, it's going good. It's like... 80 degrees here, the sun is shining, we're, right, we're driving right by the beautiful ocean. I said, shut up. <laughs> God, it's damp, it's cold here, like this. Anyways, so I was thinking, I called him because I was thinking of him in this last point of being a spiritual papa because I had the privilege with, with Dan way back when I started the ministry, I was 24 years old, 
And his dad, Dan was living in L.A., I was in San Diego pastoring, and his dad moved to our community. And his mom, who was divorced from Dan's dad, called me because the dad was an alcoholic and he was dying in a hospital room. And the mom said, hey, could you visit my husband? I did. Went to the hospital room and he's all these things hooked up to him and looked like he was on death's door. And as a 24-year-old pastor, I did my best just to read scripture to him. I shared the gospel with him, and then I thought, he's, he's not listening, but I'm going to pray for him. And I left. And then shortly after that, we had our very first service, Easter Sunday. And I didn't know this, but, but Dan's dad got out of the hospital, and he came to our Easter service. And I found out afterwards, we had cards on the bulletin. He filled out a card, and he said that at the end of the service, that Easter service, that he received Christ. And then a month later, he died. And I go, whoa, Unbelievable. And then Dan, within the next few months, moved his business from Los Angeles to San Diego, our area. Moved right to our town. He set up an appointment with me to have lunch with a guy that visited his dad in the hospital the month before his dad died. And I had lunch with Dan. It was great. We had a great lunch. One of those guys, that you, when you have an affinity for somebody, just I hit it off with him from day one. And then I asked Dan those two questions. Dan, I'd share this with your dad before he died. If you were to die today, would you know for certain you're going to heaven? He said, no, I really wouldn't. And I asked, and, and if you were to face God and he were to ask you, why should I let you in heaven, what would you say? He said, I don't know. And I shared the gospel with him there. He didn't receive Christ at lunch right there, but then he came to one of our services on Sunday after that, and he received Christ. And then I discipled him. And he became like a, a spiritual son to me, even though he's just a few years younger than me, but I did my best to mentor him and to love him. And you know what happened? He got on fire. And I mean, he got on fire to the point that he just started serving the Lord and being a disciple. And, it was, and then, he, then he does this. He meets this girl in Southern California, and I had already moved uh, down here to South Carolina. And he calls me uh, from Hawaii and says, John, you've got to come to Hawaii and officiate my wedding. And I said, Dan, I love you. I'm in South Carolina. I'm starting a new church. I got four little kids. It's our first year when we were starting the church here. And I'm broke. And I can't come to Hawaii right now. It's impossible. He goes, John, you don't understand. Listen, John, he said this. He said, my father-in-law, he's, he, he, he developed one of the very first patents on the pager. He sold it to Motorola. He's going to pay for everything for you and Heidi to come officiate the wedding. He'll pay for a hotel. He'll pay for airplane tickets, food, everything. And I said, uh, when do you want us there? <laughs> and we went, and it was a privilege. I officiated his wedding on the beach in Hawaii. And it was awesome. It's awesome. So last Easter, he sends me a text. Uh, someone that I really feel like I was a spiritual father to. He sends me this text. It made my eyes sweat. He said, this is last Easter Sunday. He said, happy Easter. In a seven-day Adventist church in Carlsbad, we were renting seven-day Adventist church as a church because they meet on Saturdays. We met on Sundays in the building. He said, in a seven-day Adventist church in Carlsbad, I looked up and accepted your invite to make Jesus my Savior. Thank you, brother. My life forever changed. Aloha, aloha to the whole family. Boy, I go, that's awesome. It just made me leap that this guy, 30 years later, living for Jesus. And he's sold out, man. He's a part of the Calvary Chapel there in Maui. He's leading, he has a small group in his home. He does a basketball camp for underprivileged kids and does devotionals and leads them to Christ. And you know what? That's... That's fun. It's fun to be a spiritual father. 
And so let's all get busy about doing that, amen? Let's give people Jesus, help them grow in the Lord, and then adopt them as sons and daughters in the faith that we can help them and then help them grow. Let's close it out now. Last thing it says, to Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and who? Christ Jesus, our Savior. Now I want you to see something here. It says in verse three, God our Savior. It says in verse four, what? Christ Jesus, our Savior. He does the same thing in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. Chapter 2, he'll say, God, our Savior. A couple of verses later, then say, Christ, our Savior. Chapter 3, God, our Savior, and then Christ, our Savior. What does that tell us about Jesus Christ? He's God. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus Christ never claimed in the Scriptures to be God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. What's I am? It's a statement of deity. Jesus Christ, our Savior, God, our Savior, it's synonymous because Jesus Christ is God. Last thing I want you to see that will make you great. Be like Paul and extend grace and peace to other people. What's grace? God's favor. God's favor, undeserved favor and, and, and merit. What's peace? Peace is serenity. Peace is also reconciliation. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. We have reconciliation. We have peace with God. Paul was a man of grace. He extended grace to people and he extended peace to people. That's why he always began his letters. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? He didn't just say those words. He lived it. You know, there's a guy named John Mark that quit on his missionary team. And then after John Mark quit on his team, Barnabas wanted to bring him back on the team, and there's all kinds of problems because Paul was a driver and said, we're not bringing a quitter on the team. We've got enough to do. It caused division on the team. John Mark went off with Barnabas. Paul went off like that. But did Paul have nothing to do with John Mark after that? No. We read in the last week, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the end of Paul's life, he said, bring John Mark to me. Because he's become profitable for me in ministry. What did he extend to John Mark, even though John Mark quit on him? Grace and peace. And not only that, we know Paul had his outs with the Apostle Peter. Do you know that? Apostle Peter, according to the book of Galatians, had a major altercation with Paul. Paul was doing his missionary work, and he was hanging out with the, the Gentile believers, and Peter would hang out with the Gentile believers, according to the book of Galatians. But then when the religious Jewish leaders came, Peter would pull back. And it says in Galatians that Paul opposed Peter to his face. He got in his face and confronted him. But you know what? After that, Peter and Paul, after their, talk about two strong personalities. I'd like to see, I want to get to the video vault when I get to heaven and see this altercation between Peter and Paul. It must have been something. But afterwards, they showed grace and peace to one another. How do I know that? Because Peter says this in his epistle. Throw it up on the screen. No, it says this. Peter says about Paul, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also, notice Peter's words about Paul, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. This is at the end of Peter's life, end of Paul's life. They reconciled. They showed grace 
and peace towards one another, and they reconciled that relationship. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Be a person of forgiveness, of mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus said this, pray this way, Father, forgive our debts as we forgive the debts of others, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive the debtors to us. Jesus made it clear. You want forgiveness, be a forgiver. It's very clear in Scripture that he says, you want to be one of my disciples, you better be a person of mercy and forgiveness because that's what Jesus has showed towards us. How dare we have these grudges, have these, have these hat-filled McCoy attitudes towards other people just because they've wronged us, just because they've done bad things? How dare us hold grudges against people after the fact that Jesus Christ has forgiven us every day of the week and he forgives and he forgives and he forgives. He shows grace and peace towards us on a daily basis. And we need to be people that extend grace, peace to others too. National championship. Uh, Clemson, go Tigers. They didn't get her done. I'm sorry. But I was getting everything at the bylaw. Heidi was out of town visiting her mom for the birthday weekend up in Iowa. And so I had some guys coming over, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the barbecue chicken thing. I'm getting the chicken and the Sonny's barbecue sauce, and I'm getting all ready for having some guys over to watch the national championship. And I'm at bylaw. And I, 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 and I was running out of time. I got people coming over, and I'm, I'm a last-minute guy. And I'm, st- I'm, you know, just got a half an hour, to, you know, to get this thing done and get home and get this grill cooking with the barbecue chicken and stuff. And I'm at Bilo. And sure enough, I'm just about at the end of the line getting my barbecue chicken. I look across there, and I see, some, I see someone in the row. And it's somebody that I, am, I'm not, I was kind of on the outs with. Somebody that left our church, and after he left our church, he said some bad things about me and all this other stuff, and I just, there's, there's some grizzle in there. And I see him, and I go, okay, these people in front of me, please don't have checks or something, just cash, let's get out of here. And I saw him in the road, and I'm kind of doing this, kind of looking, look, instead of that, you know, like this, and, and, and sure enough, the people in front of me had checks or whatever it took. But I, I still had some time. I'm, let's make the hoppy dash here. Let's get out of here. And I got through the line. And he was still doing his shopping. And then I was about to dash out of the store. The Lord convicted me. And he said, no, no, no. You ain't going anywhere, hoppy. You need to talk to that brother in Christ. You haven't seen him in a long time. You need to get, get some things right. Ah! That's okay. After I did the, I did okay. And I said, I'm just going to wait. Sure enough, he came around the aisle after I got that conversation with the Lord. Came around the aisle. I saw him. I said, hey, brother, how you doing? And he's a Clemson fan, too. He's got one thing going for him. He's a Clemson fan. <laughs> and we started talking about the Clemson game that night, and we started talking about some other stuff. And we spent 20 minutes in Bilo and let the bygones be the bygones. And I felt like there was some reconciliation there. And he showed grace and peace towards me, and I showed grace and peace towards him, and we're over it. We're over it. You know what? Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you need to show grace to? Who do you need to be peace at peace with? Who do you need to reconcile? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called Sons of God.
And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm admitting it. I'm not always good at this. I'm a competitor. And when somebody hurts me, I want to hurt them back, man. But I'm learning that a part of what makes you great in God's kingdom is to have the heart of Christ. And the heart of Christ is grace and peace. So what did we learn this morning? Five things will make you great in God's kingdom. Number one, be a what? Be a servant. Number two, be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And you're not the office of apostle, but you're a messenger for a king with a message, and the message is Jesus. Bring that to other people. Number three, be a proclaimer of what? God's word to others. Learn God's word and then share God's word. Number four, be a spiritual parent to others. Number five, be a person of what? Grace and peace. All right, if you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus, you don't know for certain that Jesus is in your heart, I want to give you Jesus. I'll share this bracelet with you. Throw the bracelet up on the screen. No, it's like there's colors here. And I'm just going to share real briefly what those colors stand for. The first color is white. And the white represents the holiness of God, the purity of God's holiness, but also represents the purity of God's love for you. If you're here this morning, every single person in this room, God loves you with a pure love. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. But God's got a problem. The problem is he's also purity. There's a purity in his holiness, and his holiness separates us from him because the next color is black, which represents the darkness of our sin. And the Bible says all men, including Pastor John, including you, all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the blackness is. And because of that, we're separated from a holy God. But the next color is red. Red is God's solution to the darkness of our sin. And that's Jesus, death on the cross for our sins. Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, said, it is finished. Literally translated, paid in full. So Jesus died on the cross for our sins, to pay in full for all of our sins. God demonstrates his own love for us. While we're sinners, Christ, he died for us. But then the next color is blue, and it represents heaven, just as the sky is blue. So heaven is a place that God created for those that are right with him. And heaven is a place where God wants all people to go. The Bible says God doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The Bible says that God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so God wants you to go to heaven, but you have to do this if you're going to get right with God. You've got to receive Christ. The Bible says, John 1.12, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So if you're here this morning, you've never received Christ, I want to give you Jesus. But you've got to receive Christ. And I'm going to do this during the prayer time. If you've never received Christ, if you don't know for sure, for sure, for sure that you've opened your heart to Jesus, do that today. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Do it now. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. I'd love to give you that gift this morning. We'll do it during the prayer time. All I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand and I'll pray for you if you want to receive Christ. And then we'll just, I'll lead you in a prayer, very simple. And then you can know that you've opened your heart to Jesus. Let's pray right now. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning, God. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that your word sets us free, Father. Thank you that your word helps us to live in godliness, Lord. Help us to be great in these areas we talked about this morning. Help us to be people that go as, as those that are sent forth with the message of Christ to others. Help us to be people that proclaim your word so people can live in godliness instead of ungodliness, Lord. Help us to be people, too, that are spiritual parents to others, that influence people so that we could become spiritual parents and help them grow 
and the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, please help us to be people of grace and peace also, Lord. Help us not to hold grudges. Help us not to uh, have unforgiveness towards people. Help us to let it go because you've let go of our sin through Jesus Christ. And forgiveness has been granted to us. So help us to be a forgiving people and be great in this area, Lord. And Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that needs to receive Jesus. You're knocking on the door of their heart, Lord, and you want to come in and you want to forgive their sin. You want to give them the gift of forgiveness and mercy and faith. And if you're here this morning and you want to just open your heart to Christ and receive Christ this morning, I want to pray for you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you just to raise your hand and say, Pastor John, would you just pray for me that I might open my heart to do so? I might have the gift of faith and receive Christ. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, just raise your hand right now and I'd love to pray for you right now. The Bible says Jesus is standing at the door of your heart He's knocking. And if you just open your heart, he'll come in and he'll forgive you and he'll give you the hope of eternal life. If you're here this morning and you need to do that, don't put that off. Just raise your hand right now and I'd love to pray for you if you need to do that. Don't be ashamed to do that. Christ died for you and he wants to come into your heart. If you've never done that before, I want you to do that right now. Just raise your hand right now. Say, Pastor John, would you pray for me? a decision that you'll never regret. If you're here this morning and want me to pray for you, I'd love to pray for you. Just raise your hand and I'll pray for you right now. If, if, if you feel Christ is knocking on the door of your heart, just say, Pastor John, pray for me. Right over here. Just keep your hand up and I'll pray for you in one second. Anybody else, just raise your hand right now. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Pray for God's love to just invade your heart and give you forgiveness. If you can do that this morning, just raise your hand right now, and I'll pray for you in just one second. Anybody else? Don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. He'd love to come in and forgive you and give you that gift of Jesus. Anybody else? All right. Just, all right, here's what I want you to do. Just stand up right now, and I'll pray for you. Just go ahead and stand up. Jesus publicly died for you. You can stand up go and just pray this prayer, and pray out loud with us also. Just pray this prayer right now. Lord Jesus... Church, pray with too. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior and my Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. And I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.